Athletic. Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, Liverpool popped the Amers bubble, taking three points at the London Stadium to make it three wins in a row. Three wins in a row! We'll get into what happened in the East End, Cody Gakpo's growing influence, and ask if the Europa League would be really so bad next season. All that to come with James and Kiva. But first, I want you three words. Kiva, there's got to be three good words here, hasn't there? Yeah. Joel Matter headers. <laughs> James. I'm going with Gagpo Appreciation Society. Well, yeah, you gotta love that. And your piece today at the game, like sum that up perfectly. A great piece. You've got to get the athletic people. Read James there. Andrew Belsip, forever blown bubbles. David Hakes, three more points. Owen Gat, team is evolving. Carl Phillips, is this form? And mine, keep on winning. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Tip from Van Dyke, still in there. Oh, great header! Bullet header! You don't stop those! Superb from Matip! Right, three in a row. I mean, at times this season, it felt like you would never get to that, did it, James? But uh, this is a good thing. Yeah, 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 it is. It is, and, and there is... Proper signs of progress, isn't there? And probably the the biggest one, again, is that kind of newfound resilience and ability to kind of roll with the punches and and not panic when when things go against you. Because, you know, we've seen that happen so many times, especially away from home this season. And, of course, when when West Ham take the lead like that, and you could see, you know, Klopp was was sat in in front of me at the London Stadium and he he was absolutely raging with, like, you know, what he felt was Liverpool being far too kind of standoffish. The, the lack of challenges that, that led to uh, Paqueta, you know, having the, the time and space to to score in the way he did. But, you know, you had to you had to really appreciate the the backbone they showed and the response again, similar to, to recent weeks in terms of in terms of handling setbacks, you know, and and the you know it helped the fact that they restored parity so quickly. Brilliant strike from from Gagpo, and then yeah, they you know they obviously they rode their luck at times, but you know there was a lot to admire. I thought about that performance, you know, especially the fluency in which they attacked and the ability to dig deep when things weren't going their way. So um, yeah, another step forward. Yeah, definitely, and you can't even say Kiva that's against teams that are on the beach because obviously they'd be Forest on Saturday and Forest. You know, one as well. They've bounced back, taken three points. West Ham, they were in a little bit of form themselves. So it's, I mean, is it the is it the fact that they've been able to have put out a consistent team? I mean, Matip's the only player to come in the last four games. I think that certainly helped bring the squad together a little bit, hasn't it? And you know, you look at West Ham and their recent results, and you know the. In Europe, having a good time, there's sort of been a resurgence in them. Going there is always a difficult thing to do. But Liverpool, maybe keeping that team together and not having too many changes, which is weird because there's so many options. So you kind of think, and will there be changes? And then, like you say, Joel Matip comes in. 
always a bit of a question mark, I think, when Canate's injured and, you know, Matip obviously scores the winner and by all means as a player of the match kind of game. So I think for Liverpool, that's just positive, isn't it? The players can come into the side and now have that impact. And like you say, and has been mentioned, conceding early goals has been sort of the crux of Liverpool's season, but they responded quickly. They've obviously conceded in the past few games as well, but been able to win. I think that sort of is a bit of a marker of like, you know, the team have maybe sort of shrugged off that that feeling of, oh God, we've conceded early again or we've conceded at all. There's a, a fight in them now towards the end of the season, which I think is boding well. You can't get too ahead of ourselves, can we? But signs of life there, definitely. Back to Cody Gakpo, James, and the piece you wrote. I think people wrote him off too quickly, didn't they? At various points. I mean, we do that in football, don't we? We're on this roller coaster where we, you know, someone's a genius after two games and then they're a bum after another two. But he was given a particularly difficult task to you know, sort of fill the role of Firmino. And what he's done and what impressed me most about him last night is his off the ball work. I mean, if you compare him to Nunes, you can see Nunes has got so far to go. But Gakpo is quite close to being a Club player? Yeah, yeah. I remember speaking to Pep Linders when when the deal first went through and he's he said, you know, we, we firmly believe he's got the, the perfect skill set to, to flourish here. And I think we're starting to see that now. Um, I'd quite happily hold my hands up and say, you know, probably for the first three or four weeks, it was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure about this one because um, I think as well, it, it kind of at the time... It, I think everyone was like, well, the January window is going to be big in terms of starting the midfield rebuild. And then it was like, you know, the Gagpo one was exciting, but it was like, is that really what Liverpool needed at that time? I think that was the feeling amongst a lot of supporters. It was like, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a bonus purchase when probably the need was elsewhere in the squad. But, you know, the, the biggest compliment you can pay him is now he's absolutely integral to, to this team to the point where, you know, he, there's been 20 games since he signed. He started 18 of them and come on in the other two and predominantly been used through the middle. And I don't think we should underestimate, you know, just how impressive it is, the fact that he's he's effectively learned a new role, you know, because, you know, it, all, you know the, the heroics he produced for PSV were, were playing off, off the left. You know, Klopp has worked with him on the training pitch, thought he had or the attributes to become become the number nine, become Firmino's successor. And now we're seeing it. And yeah, the, the goal at the London Stadium was you know, a, a sign of someone whose belief is just growing and growing. You know, the fact that, you know, a couple of lovely touches to get out of his feet and then such a sweet strike to equalise. Gakpo. Gakpo shots into the corner. A quick reply from Liverpool. It was, as you said, Tony, it was the things that, that really like impressed me was just all that work off the ball. The you know the, the way he disrupts attacks. There was one in the first half where I think Jota ended up missing the chance. That all came from from Gakpo's perseverance and you know willingness to to shut down space and harangue defenders and he just links play so intelligently as well. Like offers an outlet. You know he, he looks after the ball. He's strong. He's quick. He sees options around him. And um, yeah, I think you know it's he's in a very different place, isn't he, to to Nunes at the minute in terms of you know you you kind of you watch Gagpo and you think yeah you know you are everything that Klopp wants in a number nine where 
where you know Nunes is is very much still the work in progress. Definitely, definitely. I think there's out oh, Kiva. Uh, James said there about his intelligence. His intelligence on the ball is obvious, but his intelligence off the ball, he knows how to use space when the opposition have the ball, which is one of the greatest skills in football. And is and that means that you know it's difficult for opponents to get going from early on. I just thought, you know, last night, um, you know, Andy Robinson uh, won the ball back 10 times, but, you know, Gakpo was behind him seven times. That's, for an attacker, that's brilliant. That's Roberto Firmino levels, isn't it? I think that's why he has shone so much in recent games in particular, because he is dropping back. And I think a lot of fans have been happy with him staying in the side for a long time, as he has been, because he does do that work off the ball and will get into the positions that are important for Liverpool to counter-press and build from there. And then when he is on the ball, like we've mentioned, it just sticks to him. He's able to shrug off players. You know, he's almost like a Firmino-Wijnaldum hybrid that he can control the ball, drop deep, bring it forward. And he just looks like he's just growing in this real, like, calm confidence that he's going to score. Now, if you think back to, like, the Chelsea game, which was one of his first games for Liverpool, obviously ended nil-nil like all the other games against Chelsea do. <laughs> and he had loads of shots and he was just kind of, like, a bit wild, flying into the Anfield road end. And, you know, you kind of thought, like, oh, God, is he? he's not going to be like this, is he? Because you'd seen, you know, all the footage of him at PSV and then slowly but surely just started, you know, tinkering away and getting his goals. And I think if you look at his, obviously his record last, is it the 28 goal contributions in his last 29 games, obviously for PSV and Liverpool, which just speaks for itself. And making that step up to the Premier League from where he was playing is always going to be a difficult thing and it was going to take time. But I think we're now starting to see signs of a a really, really good footballer, one that I think is so young and so talented and so versatile to be able to play in that role. But also you could play him on the left, you could play him on the right probably. You know, he's he can do quite a bit for Liverpool going forward and I think maybe of question marks around him signing when everyone was wanting a midfielder, but there's absolutely no questions now because he's he's shown week in, week out what he can do. Yeah, I mean, when you look at him, you start to get good feelings about next season. Uh, we might be getting, running ahead of ourselves, but that's what you do when you see them play, when you see players playing well like that. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Our defending, definitely. We defend completely different. Our said we can play football when you have stability in in a, in a game. Means when not each piece of possession your opponent has ends up in a shot or a cross or a dangerous situation in your box, then you can build step by step confidence in um, during the game. And that's what I saw today. That my, it was the, by far the best reaction. On a setback we had this season, we were one down, and usually this season looked like that's it, uh, pretty much. And today, today I couldn't see a difference, not body language-wise, all was all good. Yes, we need to score then, but as I said, I would have liked the game as well if we draw. I think if we lose, that would have been super unfair, um, but if we draw, I like the game, not the result so much. But now we won it, and um, that makes it the perfect night for us. Tony Evans here with James Pierce, Kiva O'Neill with Walk On. 
Well, that was Jurgen Klopp speaking in his post-match press conference about the importance of Liverpool's defensive improvements. James, what does he mean? I mean, I, I've got to say, I didn't think the defence was that good. No, I think I don't think he means in terms of not giving opponents a sniff because Liverpool quite clearly did. But I think he's more talking about their shape and organisation as a unit out of possession. And I think part of that is not giving up as many clear-cut chances in terms of when they lose the ball, because that, for the most of this season, that's been one of Liverpool's absolute glaring weaknesses that, you know, a move breaks down and then suddenly, you know, it can be five, six players against three. You know, the lack of protection at times has been absolutely startling. I think that was what he was getting at, that just collectively they're better out of possession and that is making it more difficult for teams to break them down. And yes, there's still some mistakes there that have to be ironed out. And what is it? I think one clean sheet in eight games in all competitions since the thrashing of United. And even that was that drab nil-nil against Chelsea. So yeah, still some work to be done. But yeah, I think it feeds into the new system as well. Because I think it was interesting listening to Jordan Henderson, who stopped and spoke to a few of us after the game last night, that he was saying that he feels the new system is, has really helped them in terms of giving everyone something to, to think about, to focus on. And having Trent you know, in, in those central areas helps in terms of an extra body, in terms of protection when Liverpool do need it, when teams break on them. Yeah, I, I mean, Kiva, do you think, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting point that Jordan Anderson made there about the new system giving them something to think about. And, I mean, it changes the mentality, and they seem to have got the mentality back. I mean, for so often on this podcast, we were like, you know, don't concede first, don't concede first. And when they did, you know, the, the consequences were becoming inevitable. Yet they conceded first last night, and they showed a certain amount of mental toughness. Yeah, you speak about mental toughness. I always think it's like a, a mental challenge as well. They've had to, like, re adapt to a new thing in the team and maybe they haven't been doing that as much and this feels like a big change doesn't it so obviously they're all having to think it's like a bit of brain training almost that they're having to do when Trent steps into that central area and that kind of has that knock-on effect around the team but like in terms of defence this season I mean you have to look compared to last season they've this season they've conceded uh, 39 goals last season it was 26 that's put them where they are. But then at the same time, you look at the goals for and the attack quite haven't been up to their standards because they've scored last season, they scored 94 goals and this season it's 61. So we're seeing that sort of, you know, not only the defence, but the attack, that drop off, I guess, has, you know, impacted the team as a whole and where they sit in the league is absolutely where they should be because of that. But I think in terms of conceding goals and winning games, is an important step for Liverpool because eventually you think with the system and the confidence that they're getting from it, eventually we'll see that maybe defensive sort of blockade come back into place. The sooner the better, really, because that's what title wins are founded on, as we know. And if Liverpool want to be anywhere near that next season, then they've got to get that right. But I think like Klopp mentioned, the body language thing as well, they just seem more confident. Like, you know, they shrugged off that first goal, like, let's get on with it. And I think... Bowen's goal that was offside kind of did tell for the season as well because, you know, obviously sort of runs at Van Dijk. Van Dijk doesn't look massively confident and then he sort of gets a shot off early, which, you know, beats him 
and people speak about, you know, Van Dijk and the defence and different things being worked out about Liverpool. That's probably a small example of how, but you go back to Zaha's goal for Crystal Palace, which was, you know, similar, take your shot on early. So as teams are adapting against Liverpool, Liverpool need to adapt. And I think this change now with Trent in a new a new role has definitely helped with that across the team. Yeah, James. And how important has Curtis Jones been in this? He's been impressive, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I've been really impressed by by Curtis, and um, yeah, it's great great to see because he's had such a rough a rough season. I remember speaking to him after the game down at Chelsea a few weeks ago, and and he said, you know, medics had said to him they they'd not seen anything like it with with this kind of stress reaction he had down around his ankle that you know, was limiting his his training time and was still having to be carefully managed and, you know, having needing to have a day off essentially every four or five days to, to rest it. And, and how it, you know, completely wrecked his hopes of really taking a, a step forward this season. So, um, yeah, I think at the time, you know, it, it was, people were probably scratching their heads a little bit when he came into the team in terms of, you know, really, you know, you know, is that, you know, is he, you know, is he really going to help us turn the corner? But he certainly repaid the manager's faith. You know, Klopp was eulogising about him again last night after the after the win over West Ham and and talking about what he gives them off the ball as well as on it. And and he's also I think I think another element of Curtis Jones's game that's sometimes underappreciated is he's a big lad. Like he does, he, he can hold his own physically. Um, and I think that was probably one of the reasons he did start ahead of, ahead of Thiago because West Ham, you know, are are physical. You need an aerial, uh, you know, you need to be able to, be able to deal with that aerial. Um, bombardment that comes at times and, and and not get bullied and yeah I think I think the fact that Thiago being back fit again the last couple of weeks and still not getting back in the team that that says everything about where Curtis Jones is at, at the moment yeah I'm, I'm think what the interesting thing is as well you know when Curtis first come through his attacking abilities were what stood out he's less flamboyant in what he's doing now and has actually worked better for the team doesn't it Kiva yeah, and I guess you'll see that flamboyant still in moments where he, you know, he still likes to keep the ball, maybe dribble around someone or, you know, do something fun with it. And I think he's still got that in his locker, hasn't he? But maybe he just seems like in such a good place. We speak about Trent a lot. And now, you know, there's another scouser in the team and you couldn't imagine Liverpool starting the next game without him. That's where he's put himself now, you know, and there's someone on the sidelines called Thiago and he's keeping him out, which, you know, speaks for how well Curtis Jones has played in the in the past few games. And I think in terms of going forward, this is kind of what you felt like he needed to do. There was going to be a lot of question marks over would he go on loan next season or even move on from Liverpool eventually. I don't think those question marks are quite as prominent now, are they? And people aren't really asking them because he's just worked his way back into the team and is answering that main question, which has come from Klopp a lot of the time, is that consistency. He's showing that now, and I think that's that bodes so well, especially when it does feel like a, a positive time for Curtis Jones going forward that he can be involved because he's he's not going to be out of the team now. You wouldn't imagine the way he's playing. So why can't he do that for a whole season? I think that's that'll be his next challenge. You know, if he's able to start the next season for Liverpool and finish it as you know however many appearances he can get. Well, there's loads of positive signs, but let's just be a little bit careful with all this Liverpool back stuff because we've been stung before. So, European football is on the agenda for next season, James. Uh, how are you feeling about it? 
Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm still the, the optimist in me still hasn't completely given up on that top four, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I know, I know it's ridiculous and everything points to the fact this late dash towards the finish line is probably going to be a forlorn one, regardless of whether Liverpool are perfect and, and win the rest of their fixtures. Because, you know, I think, you know, Newcastle clearly look as if they're in the box seat to secure that top four finish. But uh, Liverpool have just got to keep keep going. And I know, like a few weeks back, I, would, I meant it and I said, you know, I think there's a lot of advantages to potentially missing out on Europe altogether because of, you know, the changes that are going to take place to the squad this summer and the extra training time that that would give Klopp. And, you know, you look at what happened to Antonio Conte when he was at Chelsea and that kind of scenario. But, you know, the, the caveat of that was always, you know, you can't just kind of give up on the rest of the season. You need some positives to cling to going into the summer. You've got to get some momentum. And, and to, to Liverpool's credit, they've done that the last couple of weeks. So, um yeah, I've probably shifted a little bit and thought, do you know what, maybe the I'm probably now in the realms of the the Europa League wouldn't be the end of the end of the world, but for God's sake, keep away from that Europa Conference League. Um yeah. I was I was reading earlier on, I didn't realise because I've got to be honest, I haven't seen a minute's Europa Conference football um ever. And um I didn't realise that the final coming up this season is in an eighteen thousand capacity stadium somewhere on the outskirts of Prague and you know they were saying that you know if West Ham get there they've got 5,000 tickets you know bearing in mind that West Ham get over 60,000 at every home game and haven't been to a European final since 1976 so <laughs> can you imagine the mayhem if Liverpool were in that Europa Conference League and and got to the final with you know the way that UEFA are obviously dishing that out as if it's a like a, a League One competition so um yeah you know, I, I still, I'm still clinging to that outside hope, but you know, it's you know, at the moment, yeah, I, I think if you're a betting man, you'd say Liverpool are probably heading for the Europa League. Yeah, definitely. And for me, Kiva, I think there is a lot to be said to be in Europe in the sense that for Antonio Conte, a week on the training grounds without the distractions of Europe might be a really good thing, but. When Liverpool have had breaks, when you think to yourself, okay, yet yeah, they've got to be able to work on tactics and they'll be able to work on individual abilities, it doesn't exactly like turn out brilliantly, has it? Is is a Klopp team a rhythm team where they need to play and they need to they need not to overthink the next game? Liverpool fans hate international breaks mainly because you know players tend to get injured on them, but also. Liverpool seem to not perform well when they come back in that first game. You know, we know they've won those games after international breaks, but it just does feel like Klopp is a momentum kind of manager and one that needs his players around him and, you know, that and needs plenty of games, the rhythm of it all. And I feel like without that, it's kind of like they've got too much time to think and not be. I think the focus has to just be there every day and then that has to be, you know, something they're talking about and working on constantly to get there. And I think it's like a conveyor belt, isn't it? And once you get off that and get back on it, it's sort of like, hang on a minute. I think it's just European football is Liverpool, isn't it? And I think even if it is to be the Europa League. So I think there's, there's positives to either one. Obviously, I'm also sort of looking at the Champions League and the distance thinking... God, that would mean, you know, if Liverpool don't qualify, then they obviously can't win it next year. So the soonest they could win it would be like 
two years away and that just feels weird doesn't it so I think you know for fans that's how they'll be looking at it but just to be in European competitions at all I think will suit Liverpool so there's always that like conversation about Jurgen Klopp eventually being like the Germany manager and I always think like I couldn't imagine Klopp just sat off for like two months too much time for the broods wouldn't it if things go wrong I mean, one day maybe that'll suit him down to the ground after just a mad, you know, few seasons and whatnot that he, he's, you know, in his career, what he's done. And it might be a nice sort of holiday almost. But I think, yeah, for Klopp and for this Liverpool team, they eat and breathe and live games, don't they? And I think that's what they need. I don't think, you know, weeks on the training ground necessarily help them with anything other than, you know, a bit of rest. Yeah, I, I, I feel that strongly. And also, James, I feel strongly that part of Liverpool's identity has been in Europe. Yeah, it's one of the the great things about the club, and they were, you know, they were trailblazers in Europe. So I mean, and also, it's the chance of another trophy. And if you can't win the Champions League, well, you might as well try and win the Europa League, might you? Yeah, but what happens if they end up in the Europa Conference? Would you rather be out of Europe completely, or would you rather be in the Europa Conference? I think I'd rather be in the Europa Conference. Yeah, it's a little Tim Pock competition. And, but, you know, if you're not in the Europa Conference, it means you've finished down in the position of with the Crystal Palaces of this world. And I'd rather not do that. I honestly would rather not do that. It's, just a, it's shameful. It's embarrassing. Look where Liverpool finished, you know, and everyone points and sniggers. I'd rather have them sniggering at us in the, uh, in the Europa Conference League than sniggering us for being out of it uh, I'm not I'm not sure I think I, I think also in terms of like I think I think the Europa League for, for Liverpool that there'd still be a certain appeal because of you know what it's done for them previously and you think of the run under Klopp to the final when he first came in and and obviously the the Julier triumph um you know a couple of decades ago but you know and also you can earn decent enough money in the Europa League I think you can probably push it up to 30, 40 million pound over a season. You know, nothing like the 100 million that Liverpool got from the Champions League last season. But still, you know, in terms of the business side of things, not to be sniffed at. But I think you drop into the, the Conference League and, and then you are talking about peanuts in terms of... And then I think that the, then the knock-on effect of you know, people say, you know, you play the kids, but you can't just th- throw 20 kids on a on a flight to Latvia... And, and wish them all the best. They still need a manager and a coaching staff with them, and that still has an impact on your training regime. And you know, then you're always playing catch up in terms of the, the Premier League fixtures. So, um, yeah, I'm coming round to the idea of of, of of Europa League football, but not not Europa Conference. Not for me. This is Walk On from The Athletic with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce and Kiefer O'Neill. Well, Tottenham on Sunday. And you think we've had bad stretches in the season where we've been on this podcast and we've felt really glum. (laughs) Imagine being on a Tottenham podcast now. (laughs) I mean, they've had such a weird season, haven't they? Like, they sort of, at points have looked good and then really, really bad and then good, and then bad, and I just don't know. Like, Liverpool have sort of been similar in a way, but just Tottenham feels a lot worse, which is, I mean, yeah, they're just on the same point as Liverpool, but it it feels 
Like when you look at both clubs and and sort of you analyse the seasons, it feels like Tottenham have had the worst one. I guess because Liverpool have had the, I guess Jurgen Klopp's still been in charge. You know, there's been hope at certain points throughout the season, but Tottenham's like a bit of a mess, isn't it? To put oh, it put it like it's a lot of a mess. And we're recording this before they play Manchester United, so we all might look foolish because they might get a Ryan Mason bounce <laughs> and beat the Manx. Um, I doubt it personally. So let's talk about the 6-1 defeat at Newcastle on Sunday. Now, James, that's that was one of the most embarrassing things. I was going to Wembley to see the semi-final and come out of the tunnel, check my phone, and like they were 5-0 down. And I'm like, oh, it's not your half time. And then when they come out for the second half, they took Hugo Lloris off, the captain and the goalkeeper. And you think to yourself, it sounds as if they've thrown in the towel there. So what do we expect? From them on Sunday at Anfield? I mean, it's it's difficult to know what to expect because um, you know, yes, they've made they've made another change managerial-wise, but of course Ryan Mason was was there anyway. I don't think there's gonna be any any big shift in terms of personnel or or tactical approach. You know, what what can he do? I mean, it's they they are an absolute mess. And it is it, it's it's strange, isn't it? Because it, when you look at it and you think you think you know two clubs on the same points totals as we as we speak at the minute, and um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, it just it, it feels like there's a hell of a lot more wrong at Tottenham. I think, and and it probably does start at the top in terms of you know there's a lot of a lot of kind of anger being directed at you know Daniel Levy and the way in which he's run things, and and then you had you know Conte was was clearly unhappy, wasn't he? And you know he. His words proved to be true, didn't he? In terms of you know bemoaning the, the you know the the character of his players essentially, and and that has really come to the fore in the last few weeks. And um, I must admit, I turned the TV on after half an hour of that game at, at St James's, and you know thinking, oh, you know, I watched that one and think, her thinking probably a draw would be great, great for Liverpool. And it was one of them ones where you're like, that can't be, that can't be true. Is there some kind of glitch in the Sky graphics because? It was just just crazy, and again, like completely spineless in in the way in which they capitulated. And yeah, Liverpool have had some pretty dark days themselves this season, but yeah, nothing nothing on that on that kind of scale. And um, and yeah, they've still got match winners, haven't they? In, you know, in in Son and, and Kane, but Liverpool should be licking their lips at this one because you know we, we saw what Anfield can be like. And, and what it did to Arsenal in that second half a few weeks back. And I think it'll be absolutely rocking again on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, wasn't there supposed to be a growing rivalry? Wasn't it one of these, like, pretend rivalries like Chelsea like to believe they have with Liverpool? When Tottenham fans heading that way, you know, the when last-minute winners at Anfield and last-minute penalties, and there was all excitement. And we even played them in the Champions League final. I mean, both clubs seem a long way from that now. But there was this the the sense of occasion when Tottenham come not so long ago, and now it's um, it, the, I suppose the only sense of occasion you get is that it should be a ritual slaughter. I mean, it's a world away from last season, isn't it? When obviously Tottenham got a draw at Anfield, and that sort of I think maybe looking back cost Liverpool the league in the end because the you know would have won that game. It would have been. Um, 
yeah, that just, it felt like a bit of a sort of a night at Anfield and a moment, didn't it, where you were kind of thinking that could be the end of that and, you know, eventually it proved to be. So I think the Tottenham team that will come on Sunday will will have the hope that they can do something again to, you know, upset Liverpool's mini resurgence. But Liverpool are a team that need to overcome that. They're a team that always score at Anfield, I think, in the last... 38 games they've only failed to score against Chelsea which we mentioned not scoring against Chelsea far too much in this podcast but I think <laughs> Liverpool will be confident at Anfield they are confident at Anfield and Spurs will have little confidence you'd imagine on the back of that Newcastle game and I think Liverpool now just need to get that fourth win in a row because the last time they did that was obviously I think we've chatted November December time to think that this Liverpool team, you know, we speak about Tottenham, but the focus is this Liverpool team haven't won more than four games in a row in the Premier League this season, which is abhorrent really for the team that started, you know, this season. We all believed that they would be battling it out for the title. And to think that they haven't put a win of five games together is just crazy. Yeah, it's um, it's absolutely amazing that the drop off. And you would hope that, it will continue for a little bit longer, and 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 Liverpool can pick up three more points because that would be, that would be that would be very good. That would be very good. What? How do you see the shape of the team for Sunday, James? I mean, given that they play Fulham on Wednesday, is there going to be a bit of chopping and changing, moving around? Because this this mini resurgence has been characterised by stability. Yeah. So I I I think Klopp would be loath to. To, to change too much, maybe maybe one or two tweaks here and there, but nothing more. Because I think also when you look at it, you know, it's there's a decent decent space in between the games. You know, Thursday, Thursday, Friday in terms of the recovery, and then you know you, they they have the full day on on Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon. So I don't, you know, obviously waiting to find out. You know, Klopp will do his press conference on Friday whether anyone's emerged with any issues but when he was talking last night he, he said that he expected to have Canate back available for Sunday you'd expect he'd probably come back in for Matip despite you know Matip being the the match winner with that bullet header and his first Premier League goal for for 11 months so so potential change back there and then you think you know what does he do in midfield does he go with the same again or is it time to hand a start to to Thiago and then you know, I, you know at the top end of the pitch I'd I'd be surprised if he changed it because it is it is working so well. You know, is Diaz quite ready for a first start yet? Um, since his long his long absence, I'm not sure. I think I think I think there's been little flashes of quality in his kind of cameo appearances so far. But you know, it's maybe maybe Fulham midweek next week probably makes more sense to to give Diaz a first start. So um, yeah, I think as you said, Tony, continuity has been at the heart of of this bit of momentum they've they've built up and I don't think Klopp will be going to try and jeopardize that by trying to be too clever and 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 change things that don't need to be to be changed because um yeah despite Tottenham's issues you know it's they you know they do still command you know a certain amount of respect because of the, some of the names on the backs of the shirts that that can hurt you if if you're not absolutely bang on it yeah and i mean Harry Kane is dangerous whenever you play him and the one thing is he's maintained his form through this horrible slump that Tottenham have had I mean there might be a case keeper for you know for easing along Jota and maybe even Curtis Jones and saying you know given your injuries you've had a you've had a lot of playing time recently and giving them a day off but this doesn't seem the moment for it does it 
No, it doesn't. It just seems like the like James mentioned there, Canate for Matip, if obviously Canate is available, would be the only one. Thiago does kind of make you think, but Curtis Jones is having such a good time. I don't think anyone wants to halt that and halt it of the team because, you know, we, we've spoke about Trent's new role so much, but the whole team, this team, the starting eleven obviously other than the matter, but Matter obviously played well last night, have helped that move along. So I think there might be almost a reluctance as well to changing it up because then, you know, one little thing might go wrong and like James mentioned, Diaz maybe not 100%. I think if we didn't see Diaz for the rest of the season, start a game, I'd be okay with that. I think he's a player that you want at his absolute best going into next season where, you know, a few weeks ago I was like, Diaz has to start as soon as he can. And it was all, you know, we were all worried about Liverpool, but it just the mood has completely changed. And I guess that's what winning football games can do for you. Yeah, and Kenny Douglas said to me, any manager, including me, it's got eight games. You know, you lose eight games and you're in trouble. And the reverse is true. You win three games and everyone feels good. And if you can win four and five and six, you feel even better. So that's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Kiva and you as well for joining us. Well, Spurs on Sunday at Anfield. So we'll talk about that on Monday. The Athletic.